Week seven, handling division. The church has become established because they have become more and more established in him. God has an assignment for these apostles and the disciples and all the people of God to do one thing. Go forth and preach the message of life. Preach the message of the kingdom. Preach the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And at this point, because they're so established in God and carrying out the assignment that God has had for them, even last week seeing the apostles released from prison because the angel said, get out, you need to go preach the message of life, you need to preach the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Because they have been so unified in this, we have seen people saved, set free, miracles, signs, wonders being released. Thousands upon thousands are coming to the church. And up to this point in Acts, the enemy's been trying to come against it. The enemy has tried to come against them with intimidation from the priests, from the Sadducees, from the Pharisees. The enemy has tried to come against them through people with motives and agendas like Ananias and Sapphire coming into the church. The enemy's been trying, and nothing's been working because they're so unified. And as something gets unified, a unified thing is the most dangerous thing because anything in unity can go forward. And the cool thing is, one of the teachers, Gamaliel, last week, who was a Pharisee, said to the Sadducees, it may be for a time, but if it's not of God, it will eventually fail. But if it is God, nothing can stop it because they're unified and God's doing something. So, just like with any unified movement, if the enemy can't attack from the outside, he tries a new tactic. And he tries to cause division from the inside. And in the six years coming up this July with Relentless, I've seen this many times. Sometimes it's from people in the congregation. Sometimes it's from me. But the enemy has, all, has continually tried to divide. We haven't had an issue with the enemy trying to divide in a while. Because in coming to this space, we said we were going to come to a smaller thing excuse me, decreasing from, decrease to increase, um, decrease for increase. Ever since we came to this smaller space, we've been growing tremendously. Um, it may not look like it tonight, but we have three services during the week. We have Saturday nights at 6, Sundays at 10, and we have Tuesdays on the island at 7. Tuesdays is not a small group. It is a home campus model that we're trying to establish. Um, across those three, we have, got, we have gained from about 70 averaging a week to over 100 every week. We usually average about 115 people every week. So we've been increasing. And with that increase and with that unity, I don't know if you felt it, but this, this, it's more of a family now. We're getting to know each other. We're getting to fight more and laugh more. And with all that, the enemy tries to bring something to the table called a fence to try to divide the body. Well, that's what's going on coming up in Acts chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Satan knew something. The church is growing, and as it's growing and multiplying, I can divide a larger group easily than it was to divide when it was smaller. Because now the leaders had to deal with internal disputes and potential divisions. We took a step back and we've seen to, to go smaller, and we have seen much increase. Increase financially, 
spiritually, physical structure, numbers. We're gaining ground. We're gaining facilities. The offering has increased from an average of 1000 a week to almost 5000 a week. God's doing a lot of stuff. With that becomes more, comes more costs, more expenses, more people, more managing. We have two worship teams now. We have prayer teams. We have pastoral prayer teams. We've got, we've got, we got people wanting to start worship prayer teams. Uh, I mean, you name it, we're doing it. Amen? That's one thing I keep he hearing people say is one reason we come to Relentless is because you're doing stuff and not just talking about it. Um, we, we, there's many churches in the area like this, and I can't speak to what they're doing or what they're going through, but I know what we're going through, and the enemy is taking notice that we're gaining unity, and when that happens, he's going to try to divide. I don't want to mix you up and say to you that we're, not, that we're against growing in numbers because that's not the thing. I don't, I don't want people to think that Kyle's against growing in numbers. But what I am against is we don't want the growth of numbers to replace intimacy and unity. It is an intentional vision of this house to create a house of worship of no more than 150 people. And within those 150 people, raise up leaders. To If it grows to more than that, we can build other campuses so we keep a small, unified body. But even with that, as we have more campuses, it's going to be the enemy is going to try to divide. We need to pay attention to the purpose of unity in the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10 it says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be what? No divisions. None. Zero. Nothing. Nada. No divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind united in thought and purpose. And this is exactly what Satan is coming against in Acts chapter 6. The enemy is saying, I want to divide the harmony, the unity, the oneness in mind, and the oneness in purpose. So let's read that again, Acts 6 verse 1. And I'm going to give you a little bit of detail of what's going on. As the believers rap rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. That's usually how the enemy, you know the enemy's working. Rumblings. You start hearing people talk about this, and you start hearing people talk about that, and you accuse this person, and you accuse that person. I know that none of y'all have ever experienced that in church, but rapidly discontented people can easily happen to vibe. I, I, I grew up at Pooler First Baptist Church, and there must have been four or five church splits by the time I was 15 years old. Um, that, that I'm, I, I am, uh, you know, obviously it's more like two, but I experienced that growing up. Um, people get offended in the church splits. Um, it happens a lot, which is why many um, churches that we like to call non-denominational churches have started because they got tired of church splits, which is funny because there are so many people trying to start non-denominational churches that there's almost so many where there's not enough people to cause a split, but when and the church has become ununified. Well, the believers were rapidly multiplying, and there was rumblings of discontent. It says the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. You got two groups of people. You got the Greek believers. You got the Hebrew believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Two groups in one church. You got the Greek-speaking believers, which were known as Hellenists. Everyone say Hellenists. Then you got the Hebrew-speaking believers, which was known as, guess what? Hebrews. 
<laughs> you got the Hebrews and you got the Hellenists. The Hebrews believers were more inclined to embrace Jewish culture, and most of them were, were from Judea. The Hellenists were believers that were more inclined to embrace the Greek culture, mostly scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Basically, it comes down to this to just kind of make it short and simple. Hebrews thought the Hellenists were too contemporary, and Hellenists thought the Hebrews were too traditional. I know that we have never experienced that in the church. You got two groups in the church. You got the super traditional. You got the super uh, contemporary. Hebrews, Jewish, Hellenists, they were embracing Greek culture. Hebrews were contemporary. Hellenists were all about the tradition. You've got all these people who have set aside their personal beliefs, unified in one body. Today we see this divide in the church, traditional and contemporary. Hymns and praise music. I get so tired of people trying to present their cases for both. I don't care. If, you, know, you know what praise songs are? They're modern day freaking hymns. Yeah, I'm going to say freaking's my church. It was, it, there's traditional, there's contemporary. These two groups set aside their natural suspicions of one another for unity and seeking God, and Satan wanted to try and take advantage of what was already in their mind that they were in the process of renewal with. Because up until this point, there was no issue with the difference in beliefs. You got contemporary and traditional coming together as one. Well, in this time, the care of widows and orphans was a very important issue. In fact, the temple would usually deal with the issue of widows and orphans. The church rising up, the New Testament church said, we'll take care of our people and we're not going to depend on the temple. In 1 Timothy, it even talks about the importance of caring for widows and orphans and parents. And in that process, it says this in 1 Timothy 5.8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially in their own households, have denied true faith and such people are worse than unbelievers. So you think about that the next time you dishonor your mother and father. You think about that the next time that your brother and sister that you never speak to who maybe you need to make a call to lift up, remember this, if you won't care for your own relatives, you deny the true faith. That's a gut punch for a lot of us. It's a gut punch for me. Quite frankly, I speak bad about a lot of my relatives, except for my mom because she's perfect. She's here. Some other relatives are here, and I can't say the same for them. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but there are some relatives that I just don't want to talk to. I just don't want to give the time to say, hey, how you doing? And that, that scripture was kind of a gut punch for me when I read it. But within the church of this time, there was such a need to care for widows, orphans, and relatives. They were trying to set a standard. And this is a legit issue, Okay? There was a legitimacy to the concern. Some of the widows of one culture were getting more food than the others. But just because it's a legitimate issue doesn't mean it's an intentional issue. The Hebrew widows were getting more food than the Greek widows. Have you ever had a dispute that was legitimate but not necessarily intentional? And there is so much divide 
when we have arguments over stuff that's legitimate but not always intentional. We have offenses between brothers and sisters. You can, and we can talk about the family of God right now. We can talk about your family at home. But we have offenses and disputes between brothers and sisters and family in the body of Christ. And people can get offended because of a legitimate thing someone else says and vice versa. And oftentimes, we automatically think it is intentional. But not everything is always intentional, but it's legit. It all comes down to one problem, and that's why this message is so simple today. You know what the problem is, is why there's so much divide in the church and why it's so easy for the church to be divided? It's one word, honor. We don't understand honor. And if we would get honor, you would be able to handle times when stuff's trying to be divided. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says this in the Passion Translation. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. Let me just break that down for you. Everything that you come against, you should have one intention. Love them. We have scripture that says love your enemies. Love your brother. Love your sister. Everything we should do in response and in action should be tied to how can I love them in this thing. When you correct something, how do they see and feel my love? When I come with an issue, how do I deliver it in love? Never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. We are the body of Christ. We are a family. Do you agree with that? It says we are adopted sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. We are, we are family. Everyone in this room, we're brothers and sisters. So this is what it says. Because you're family... And because we should be unified and because we should be in one purpose and one mind, try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. If we would just get that simple concept to outdo each other in love and honor, most of the things that divide us will be put out and doused out and fires will never begin. Every, everything should be outdoing each other with honor. That's something that I have learned in the six years of pastoring this church. And in the beginning, I was horrible at it. And in the middle, I was horrible at it. And even now, sometimes I'm still horrible at it. But one thing I'm trying to do more and more is I don't care what you say to me or what you've done to me or what you've accused me of. I want to outdo you with honor and respect because I don't see you through a fleshly point. I see you through a heavenly lens. And no matter if you are legitimate or intentional, if you're a child of God, I need to honor that. You may not be looking like a child of God, but I need to honor what he sees. And if Jesus paid for our debt of sin to wash us in his blood, I should not look at you in any other way as righteous. So when you do something to me or I do something to you, you want to know how to fix division? Honor. Love. 
It's a pretty simple concept. This is not a deep theological message. But we cannot get this for some reason in America. I mean, look, look, look at the political parties. Could you imagine what we would do if Democrats and Republicans honored each other? I get so sick of Christians thinking that the only people who believe in God are Republicans. I know that Democratic Party may believe some things that aren't exactly Christians, but I know that Republicans do some things that ain't exactly Christian. Why don't we get outside of our differences and honor each other through the lens of the Father because if we would outdo with honor the unity that we so much want in the United States of America would flow from outdoing each other with honor. I'm offended. This person hurt. Outdo them with honor. They don't, deserve, they don't deserve it. Neither did you, but the Father honored your life by sacrificing his son. Outdo with love and honor. I had two issues with tenants this week coming to me saying that you doing this and you doing that. and You, you know what they're doing? They're getting scared because we're taking over spaces. So you know what they did when they said some horrible things about me? I bought them lunch, gave them a hug, and one even let me minister to her. I was talking to her when she got offended, and, she, and I said, are you a believer? She said, don't you preach to me. <laughs> so I left, got some lunch, and she, she just started bawling. I outdid her offense with what? Honor. And she went from don't preach to me to please pray for me. Because you know why she was mad? People were taking up parking spaces, but the reason she was mad is because she was freaking out because her business isn't doing too great. And I'm not talking about this one. You don't know what's going on with people's lives. You don't know why people have a short fuse. You don't know why people aren't 100%. Outdo them. Love. Honor. If we would just focus on that, so many fires would never start. The Hebrews were right in their hearts. The Hellenists were right in their facts. The traditionalists, their facts were right. They get more than our people. The contemporary, their hearts were genuine. Well, we didn't intentionally do it. But when that happens and amongst the church in America... Well, so-and-so is getting more help than me, and I've been in this church longer than you, and why you get this, and why you do that, and why can I get... It's legit, but it may not be intentional. So if we want to handle a legitimate concern, handle it by outdoing each other with love and respect and honor. I'm going to mess up. When I offend you, outdo me with honor, and I'll probably come back crying and apologizing. But if I offend you, talking about me is not going to get you anywhere. And vice versa. Is this okay? All right, let's get to verse 2. I've only got about eight verses in Acts tonight, so don't worry. So the 12, Acts 6, 2, <clears throat> called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Amen. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles 
can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. The reason most houses of worship are failing is because, number one, there's too many divisions that could have been handled in honor. And two, not enough delegation so that issues of division do not take away focus from God. God does not want to stop just because there's disagreement. But so often, a move of God pauses because of disagreement. Because we don't know how to handle the disagreement. What's going on here in Acts 6 is the apostles are saying, our job is not to make sure that all the people get fed. We care about it, but we don't need to be playing wet nurse to all you grown behind people. We need to pray and we need to teach. But what happens now in America, because we don't properly delegate and because we don't own that we are the body and that we don't need to depend on the pastor, what happens is a move of God's going and when something happens wrong, it's up to the man of God to fix the issue and it pauses the move because he don't have time to focus on seeking the Father. Romans 14, 1 through 8 says this. Accept other believers who are weak in faith. Let me just stop right there. We do not need to be a church where we have this competition of, I'm spiritually mature and they're a new believer. I would beg to differ that some new believers have a lot better chance of being real than old ones because old ones get too rooted in tradition, too rooted in religion, and you can't teach them a dang thing, and they're the meanest people in the world. <laughs> accept, others, accept other believers who are weak in faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. How many times have we had that in the church in America? I, I, I got a call today talking about how you go to that church. I've heard about Relentless Church. I thought it was going to be a good call, but nope. <laughs> Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Hashtag vegans and real people. Verse 3. Those, those who feel, are anybody vegan in here? All right, we'll get saved. Verse three. Those who, those who feel free, to, you, you can tell he's a vegans have great hair. Verse three. You can tell I'm not vegan. I'm not. A, a, verse three. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. See what I just did there? I don't need to condemn him because he ain't right. You see what's going on in this place? You, can't, you don't need to argue about that. Verse 4. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other, while others think every day is alike. You know how many people came to me and asked if we were transitioning to be Seventh-day Adventists when I said we were offering a Saturday night service? I mean, good God Almighty. God forbid we worship on a different day. You know why I decided that Saturday was going to be the go-to? It weeded out people who were just coming on Sunday because it was Sunday. 
and other reasons, but you don't need to know that. Verse 4, or verse 5. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. Since they give thanks to God before eating, and those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord, and if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It all comes back to one thing. Seek the Father and don't argue. Turn them to God. Don't turn them away by condemning their practice. Now, I don't want to mix that up because the Bible, believe it or not, does call us to judge the action. What does that mean? You don't need to argue eating habits. But gluttony is a sin. And we are to never excuse gluttony. But gluttony is not the way you eat food. Gluttony is not a type of food, if you know what I'm saying. We don't need to make big issues out of things that are not necessarily sinful or not. For instance, the church. What day do we worship? Who's preaching? When should we pray? When should we, Stop answering. When should we fast? But that's what happens in the church. We got these people over here with this idea and these people over here with this idea. And, well, I don't think we should do communion like that. We need to do it like this. And we, don't, we need to do worship longer. And we need to do worship shorter. And the pastor is preaching too long. And we don't, need to, we don't need to put the tent up in the parking lot because people don't need to be drinking coffee in 80-degree weather in Savannah. And what happened to outdoing each other with honor and respect? Did you let so-and-so leave worship this weekend? Do you know what they did? I don't really care. They came to honor God. Shut up. If I outdo them with honor, I guarantee you a conversation is going to come up because they're going to be hearing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let God do that. I don't know if this is even a sermon tonight, but... And the 12 apostles say this. We see what's going on. Unseen principalities are trying to shift our focus from God's assignment. He wants to shift it from praying and teaching to pleasing people. But notice the apostles do not say forget the people. They say let's find the right people to put out the fires of division. What the church has gotten wrong is we turn our eyes to issues. Because <clears throat> remember what we talked about earlier. It's a legitimate issue, but it wasn't intentional. <clears throat> but it is legitimate. So the apostles don't say, forget them, they got enough food, y'all just whining. The apostles say, we need to handle this situation but we are not going to walk away from our assignment. <clears throat> we are going to delegate the right people <clears throat> to handle the legitimate issues. See, the apostles did this. They say, let's find seven men. <clears throat> Verse 3. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, 
full of the Spirit and wisdom. <clears throat> now notice, it says full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. <clears throat> Seven men, don't worry, I don't have corona. <clears throat> Seven men, <clears throat> y'all can tell the, the enemy don't want me talking this. <clears throat> Seven men to handle the arguments Y'all need to start. Y'all need. Y'all need to outdo me with the honor of prayer right now. Good Lord, <clears throat> I'm going to say this for God. Seven men to handle the arguments. They have two requirements: full of the Spirit, <clears throat> full of wisdom. Note that they not. They did not say full of the gift of wisdom. It wasn't a let's get seven people and hope that the gift of wisdom manifests. It was too, because sometimes wisdom is a spiritual gift and sometimes it's just a proven practical thing you have. But they said we don't just want people who are wise. We want seven who are wise and full of the spirit because we need their wisdom in handling the issue but their wisdom needs to be submitted to the Holy Spirit to handle it in a way that will outdo the Greeks and the Hebrews, the Hellenists and the Hebrews with honor and love. <clears throat> Why? Verse 4. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. <clears throat> Not so they didn't have to escape work. They had their own work to do so that they could do the work that they were called to, <clears throat> lead the church through prayer and teaching. I wonder how many of us spend more time handling situations that you were never meant to handle and is taking away your time from what you were called to do. <clears throat> you haven't appointed a system over your finances and you're so stressed over money that you're failing at being mom, you're failing at being dad, you're failing at being husband. You're failing at being wife. You haven't appointed a way of life for food choices, so you spend more time figuring out what meals you can enjoy instead of enjoying the fellowship within the meal. <clears throat> you haven't set your life in line with God, so you spend more time repenting from, from conviction than rejoicing in the joy that should be surrounding you. The issues are legitimate. <clears throat> I've got financial struggle. I've got relationship problems. I don't like going to church all the time. I'm an introvert. I don't like crowds. I have this. I have this. I have this. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. I'm worried. Yes, all of those issues are legitimate. But maybe not all came about intentionally. And instead of trying to just pray away all the stuff, maybe it's time to delegate some things in your life. <clears throat> If you can't handle money, find someone that does know how to and let them show you instead of you trying to keep figuring out and failing. If you keep having relationship problems, figure out someone that has it figured out or at least they look like they got it and say, mentor us. If you have an issue where you can't find the strength to get in the word of God every day, find someone that does and ask them, how do you do it? But what happens is we try to fix issues that aren't necessarily in our wheelhouse to fix. I'm going to tell you, if I ever own a house and I have an issue with structure, I'm not going to try to pick up a hammer. I will do more worse to the house than the issue at hand. <clears throat> 
But isn't that what we do? Something comes about, and sometimes we are so prideful that we try to fix everything. The apostles say, we may be able to do this, but let's set something up that will take care of the issue now and moving forward. We need to find seven men with wisdom who are full of the Spirit who are going to take care of this issue so that we can focus on our assignment. Is Is this okay? If you know your assignment, you should be focused on it. <clears throat> I know what my assignment is. My assignment is something that no one has seen before, and I'm supposed to build something that there's not a model for. I can't do that if I don't delegate it. <clears throat> the apostles knew the same thing. We're building a new church that no one's ever seen before, and we care about the widows and orphans, but if we're the ones that are handling the distribution, it's going to pause what our assignment should be prayer and teaching so they said we'll find seven and we'll handle the issue so verse five and six everyone liked this idea and they chose the following Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit Philip Procurus Nicanor Timon Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch an earlier convert to the Jewish faith these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. <clears throat> Immediately, the issue was solved. Notice what verse 5 says. Everyone liked the idea. <clears throat> they, weren't, they weren't focused on the issue anymore. <clears throat> what gave them joy and peace was how it was going to be handled. Not because of the food they got, but because the division, the handling of food was... The division that was being caused by the handling of food was being addressed. They were in agreement with what the Lord wanted to do through the apostles. If the apostles handled the food program, an issue would have risen up later. This was the solution for both now and moving forward. And it was handled in such a great way that this is what happens in verse 7. God's message continued to spread the numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. They handled the issue, honored the concerns, delegated a system to the issue, and because they handled it and kept their focus on their assignment, because they handled what was trying to cause division, the message spread, more believers came, and even the priests were starting to believe. You remember the priests? They were the ones condemning them to death. Something interesting, it talks about food distribution. The word distribution here is actually the same word for ministry. It was a food ministry. They were handling widows, orphans, relatives, all that kind of thing. And the same word for this term ministry happens to also be another word that the church has corrupted. It's a word that means servant. You know what the word is? Deacon. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about what I grew up in. I grew up at Pool of First Baptist. Had a great pastor. 
He's not there anymore. I've met the new pastor. Great guy. Love him. He even showed up on here today to see me, but he don't know that, you know, like non-denominational church pastors work in coffee shops, not in the church. <clears throat> but I remember growing up at that church, it wasn't the pastor that made decisions. It was a board of deacons. And the church has come to believe that a deacon is an office held in the church. But all a deacon was was someone who was serving the needs of a people called ministry. Do you realize what that means? Every one of us hold the title of what? A deacon. Servants of God to a ministry. Everyone on this worship team is a deacon to the worship ministry. Everyone in the kids, a deacon to the kids' ministry. Deacon is simply a servant. And they said we've got to appoint these servants so that we can focus on the teaching. <clears throat> How many of you enjoy the teaching at Relentless? <clears throat> Can you imagine how much the teaching would increase in me if that's all I focused on? If I didn't have to focus on, did you hear what happened here and this fire and that fire and that person and this person and this happened and that happened? I must have 40 phone calls this week. Am I telling you this to complain? No. Because what did the apostles do? They didn't ignore it. They just delegated. And until I delegate... I've got to do it. You know how I've been talking about how I'm not much of a pastor? God slapped me in the face this week because I've had to pastor all flipping week long. <clears throat> you know why? Because my heart is for you. My heart is for what God's doing. <clears throat> and by the end of this year, I'm going to delegate some deacons to the ministry. Okay? We, we on the same page? It's handling the vision. And there was unity again. They put a system in place. They delegated servants. The Hellenists made the need known. They trusted the solution from the apostles. The Hebrews recognized that the Hellenists did have a need, and they trusted the solution from the apostles. Seven men accepted the call to a very unglamorous service. I'm going to harp on Michael for a moment. <clears throat> Michael is increasing more and more and more in what God's doing through him. He's, he's, uh, he's leading student group on Wednesdays, starting to, um, with Jenna. He is uh, uh, doing call to worship. He's getting better and better. He is being discipled by me one-on-one. -on -one. But you know what? He didn't get all that without first setting up and tearing down for six months. Jacob Brown, when he first started coming to the church, um, when he didn't like me as a preacher, um, <clears throat> that's a true story. Um, I saw on Facebook he was doing this acoustic version of I Can Only Imagine. I am so sick and tired of that song. Good song, but if I hear, if I hear it in your car, if I have a gun, your tires are going to be shot out. <clears throat> but Jacob, I'm just kidding, podcast people. <clears throat> Not really. So Jacob <clears throat> is on Facebook playing I Can Only Imagine, and quite frankly, he wasn't where he was now. But I saw potential. Sorry. Because he had talent, but it wasn't put to practice yet. So I met him at Starbucks, the most holy place you can meet. 
and we agreed that, you know, before Jacob ever led a song, he was in the background doing harmonies and acoustic for a few months. And I can tell many, many stories of, of across the board. <clears throat> when I met Pee Wee, Pee Wee didn't have the confidence to stand on the stage. This was like 15 years ago. Am I right? And I w but I saw something in him, and he's, he tells me all the time, like, hey, you're the reason I'm, I'm playing guitar now. Is that, is that correct? <clears throat> Why am I saying all this? We so badly sometimes want to get in a position. We want to get to the dream. We want to get to the goal. But sometimes, just like these seven men who are, who are going to handle a division problem because of the food, sometimes you've got to accept step one and be great at it. People complain about bosses at work. Well, you, if you can't outdo your boss with honor and your coworkers with honor, quite frankly, you never deserve to be a boss yourself. Why was Jesus exalted? Because he came and was a servant to all and washed the feet of the people who were crucifying. And you think you are any better? You know what handling division comes down to? Wash some feet. Be a servant. Outdo with honor. Outdo with love. Because these seven men stepped up, the apostles focused and the message spread and priests were even starting to get converted. How are you responding to the divisions in your life? You know, there are many times when we, when we see ourselves divided. And the apostles said that the solution of division will be solved by one thing, making sure our focus stays on him. When the seven men were selected to handle the issues, everyone was in unity. You want to know how to handle the divisions in your life? Every answer should come down to one thing. How does it keep my focus on God? You answer it like that, you'll bring unity to the division. Really simple. They chose a solution that did not shift the focus from God. The focus on seeking for the body didn't shift because the possibility of the, the possibility of division was doused out immediately by honoring the legitimate concern that wasn't intentionally done. And I'm going to close with these two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Our for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. We oftentimes spend so much time trying to fix problems, and we miss the one thing that unifies us, him. So I say we become a church on fire who put him in our passion to seek him at the forefront of every decision and every spark of division you finding things coming against you you finding offense between you you finding things that are trying to separate you the answer is simple outdo with honor love him let God be your focus I honor God in this dispute I honor God in this argument I honor God in this division 
I will not let my house be divided. I will not let my home church be divided. I will not let my, my spouse and I be divided. I will not let my children and I be divided. I will not let my relatives and I be divided. I will outdo with honor. And when we do that, you find the answer to handling division. Amen.